Future Commerce is brought to you by Loop. Loop helps Shopify brands like Patagonia, Princess Polly, and Chubbies to deliver hassle-free return experiences. Drive more exchanges and fewer refunds with Loop. Find out more today at loopreturns.com slash futurecommerce. This episode is brought to you by BigCommerce, the world's most modern enterprise e-commerce platform. You can create a cutting-edge online experience built to fit your business and your customers with BigCommerce's flexible and open SaaS platform. Get started today with a free replatforming consultation by visiting bigcommerce.com slash futurecommerce. Hello and welcome to Future Commerce, the podcast about the next generation of commerce. I'm Philip. And I'm Brian. And today we have a super cool guest with us. Calvin Lammers, CPG brand leader extraordinaire. Uh, super excited to talk to him. Welcome to the show, Calvin. Thank you, guys. Yeah, great to be here. And yeah, really looking forward to having a good conversation about all things digital commerce here uh, with, with you both. I'm old enough to remember when e-commerce was just one thing. And then mm-hmm. there's now we have CPG Twitter versus DTC Twitter versus <laughs> Omnichannel Twitter. Wait, hold on. <laughs> That's just the old people now, Brian. Come on. Uh, beverage Twitter. There's snacks Twitter. It just the, the, the categorization gets uh, finer and finer. Uh, give us a little bit of a definition of like your career arc and what, what you've been doing over the last few years and how you fit into all of this. Yeah, so I think I'm a little long in the tooth in the, in the food and beverage CPG space. I've been on the digital side for about 10 years. It's funny, I actually got my start in you know the industry on the retail side as I worked at Target headquarters, um, D71 Snacks. So that's where I first got my, my kind of foot in the door, first taste of, of CPG, the CPG world. And I, I, I always remember um, you know my PepsiCo uh, rep at the time saying, it's much better on the brand side. So I uh, you know, eventually made my way to uh, Amazon uh, subsidiary Quincy, uh, worked on the category merchant side uh, before finally breaking over to uh, the retail side. Uh, and my first uh, brand was Kind Snacks, which uh, if you're, you're looking at kind of case studies of disruptor, you know, food and beverage brands, um, one of the best uh, you could possibly find. So early adapter for, for e-commerce, Amazon, DTC, um, and just, you know, I was hooked. So been uh, been on the brand side since. Uh, leading e-com at uh, Kind Snacks, then buy um, before moving over to Spindrift Sparkling Water, Health Aid Kombucha, and uh, and most recently at Trough. So it's it's been a it's been a fun run. It's a it's a party, is what it is. Uh, <laughs> and you, I mean, some of these brands, you know, just looking at the time frame, you were there, like you were catching them right as they were, like really right. disrupting, like. Uh, looking at when you were at Kinds, I mean that's back in the in the 2014 range. Like that's when they Another were era. just hitting stride. Yes, yeah, snacks <laughs> needed a little disruption. Kind brought a lot of energy to that. And then looking looking at like buy and Spindrift, like Spindrift. Uh, you know, you were there for three years, 2017 to 2020. Right. I don't think I heard of Spindrift until 20. 20 maybe 2019 somewhere in there um and like is that is that coincidentally is that when they showed up in target i'm just at or in uh, costco (laughs) costco is that when they showed up if they showed up in costco probably that's probably that's how how brian it got on brian's radar (laughs) that's how i do all my product discovery just costco (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's not even a lie no actually that's kind of but (laughs) But it's true you aren't alone that's it's that's for sure (laughs) yeah how would you contrast those experiences there calvin 
Yeah. So I think, and that's right. That's where I love it being in that kind of like early stage um, and, you know, just helping them, you know, get that foundational, um, you know, right for scaling digital um, and getting in early um, to get in right before that, that kind of growth curve. Um, the, the experiences were, were very different just because, you know, the, the channels and landscape, you know, even between kind and Spindrift, um, only a difference of, you know, we'll call it three years, but the landscape has had changed tremendously when i first started at, at kind you know amazon ads were, were was in its infancy so there wasn't really you know much plat you know ad inventory to choose from or a strategy to choose from like you had a little bit of sponsored search and that was about it and when i was at spindrift i was a whole different uh capabilities with uh, the platform um so i think that's where each each time i've joined a brand i obviously have a great you know track record and playbook but you have to constantly be evolving that, tweaking that, both mm -hmm. with kind of how the platforms have changed, but then also how the the industry has changed in terms of you know, adoption and competitiveness. So I think that's where it's it's kind of been like relearning or evolving that at each brand. Um, I think Spindrift was the most interesting one from building as when I joined. There was no e-commerce business, so you know, mm. built out from the get-go. You know how we're shipping into FBA, how we're building out in, in a whole marketplace strategy how we're building out our dtc um strategy um and so that's where i you know was able to get my hands on um you know and build out a kind of you know five-year vision for for the channel whereas kind obviously leaned in early and then when was able to get in and help them continue to scale and build out um kind of that roadmap um after that that early um great start it's it's funny <laughs> just in the this short period of time that you're you're really kind of uh covering is how much the truisms and best practices and sort of the things that we say in mm -hmm. the industry as being right. the right way to do something has changed dramatically uh in just that intervening time in the length of your recent career it was mm -hmm. we don't have we didn't have an e-commerce practice for a beverage brand then we went through you launch beverage with D to C that's how you do it and now we're right. to a place where you know Mike Cesario from Liquid Death is saying why would we ever ship water in yeah. the mail? Right. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and it's funny watching how, uh, I don't even know if it's cyclical. It's, it's mm -hmm. to some degrees, maybe parabolic in the way that we make decisions based on early growth curves, assumptions, the yeah. time in which you launch your brand into the market, the truisms that don't necessarily hold true for very long. Right. And they're all a factor of things that really are like, it's where the consumers are. And mm -hmm. if the consumers are in a given channel, you play to that. And so right. where are consumers right now, based on your most recent experience, where are people shopping and how is yeah. that shaping how people are launching brands today? Yeah. And I think even, yeah, like, like you were saying, it, that's, tr you know, evolved tremendously over, over kind of my career and, you know, however, you're relatively sure what that is. Um, but now it's no longer, uh, all right, I'm going to launch on DTC or I'm going to launch on Amazon you know, brands are now having to say, yo, I, I have to have a full omni-channel kind of launch strategy. Like that's how you build a brand. You can't just launch on one platform, um, you know, anymore. You have to essentially be everywhere because the shopping, you know, behavior is, is you know, so, I don't want to say fragmented because it, it is connected, but you have so many now touch points or discovery you know, points, um, you know, that you've got to be everywhere. So I think that's where it, it is a little bit more all-encompassing than it used to be where, uh, you could set up your brand on, on DTC, you know, load your budget into Facebook, let it go. And if you had a good product, 
you were probably going to see see success. That's no longer the case. So I think it, it, there's so many more touch points that involved with it. So um, as you're starting out, you you know, uh, and it's you've kind of seen the move away from you know those DTC brands on not wanting to be on Amazon to now saying, well, we have to be on Amazon because that's where the eyeballs are. That's where the shoppers are. That's how customers discover new brands or research brands. So I think that's been an improvement. Um, but along with that, obviously, it's made it more competitive, costly for those advertisers on Amazon. So it, it doesn't come without its its own unique challenges. Um, but then obviously, it's been talked about extensively, but retail media and you know, how you're leveraging and activating digital components for your retail partners um, is kind of you know, its table stakes now where you need to you know, figure out how you're launching Walmart Connect, how you're you know, layering on Instacart to, to, to support any of your, your uh, retailer um, velocities. So, um, you know, those are, are moved up much early, I think, in a brand's growth than it, it maybe was previously, um, you know, for, for a lot of emerging brands. Interesting. So that's huge opportunity. <laughs> well, huge opportunity, but also let's, if we, if we, let's layer on what we just talked about as being true mm-hmm. at like what truisms are true right now. Uh, right. Retail media is extremely sexy. Everybody's talking mm-hmm. about it. Uh, that is extremely new. I think when we right. first talked about, uh, you know, retail media uh, on this show, I believe the first time we started talking about it was 2019 um, where you, you're starting to see this proliferation of retailers. Now, I think uh, uh, the retail media tracker uh, that I follow is like 21 uh, brands and owned, you know, owned e-com channels wow. are, are, are driving uh, retail media for, uh, you know, in, in mass. And it's not going to stop. Um, right. Every single, every single screen, this is going to, this is a new, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give this to you. Calvin, like Lammer's Law will be uh, every pixel of every real estate of pixel will eventually contain an ad unit. And that's you mm. see it from from Lyft <laughs> and Uber to it's not just retail media anymore. It's, right. it's yeah. just no, it's a good point is digital media. Um, right. So, yeah, let's let's maybe think a little bit into the, the future. What are what are the brands that you're working with these days? Sort of uh, what are the challenges they're facing and how are you helping them to solve them? Yeah, I think uh, the, the challenges, you know, kind of to my earlier point in that, you know, both launching and, and you know, scaling a brand on Amazon is, is, you know, it never was easy, we'll say, but it, it's become much more difficult because of the competition, because of the cost involved. Um, and it, it is now a true platform in that, um, you know, it was much easier to get a vendor central invite back in the day. Now, you know, there's a chance that you could build a you know, uh, eight figure business and never hear a peep from you know, an Amazon, you know, uh, vendor manager. So, um, I think it's, it's definitely become you know, more difficult. So it's, it's helping them kind of figure out where that opportunity is, um, you know, within, you know, kind of the category, you know, opportunity, what are the strategies from a full funnel perspective, you know, that you're building with Amazon. Um, cause I think that is the other thing that when you launch on Amazon, I think you also do need to launch with a full funnel strategy, no longer, you know, just launching and maybe running some sponsored products to, to start. So kind of, again, setting out that holistic strategy, um, and thinking through from an assortment perspective, a pricing perspective, um, you know, all of these things that are unique to, uh, um, to Amazon. Uh, but it's also kind of watching out, getting the things right early on, um, so that you don't have to, uh, I guess, run into issues or kind of roadblocks in the future, such as, you know, third-party resellers. So that's one thing that I've seen with a lot of brands where, 
you know, you might start up small, you have limited distribution, but as soon as you're in 30,000 doors, you're distributed with through UNFI, KHE, you'll see all of the you know, gray market uh, resellers pop up. So how can you differentiate your products um, and put kind of that moat around yourself early on so that you don't have to worry about that you know, long term? So I think things like that, that maybe can be pitfalls or roadblocks that I've seen um, you know, at, at scaled brands that uh, trying to help early brands. Looking out even maybe a little further here, well, where Amazon's going. <laughs> I've heard a lot of noise recently about how people are potentially shopping less on Amazon. It's become right. kind of a a product hellhole. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, it's you you go on Amazon to buy something, you're like the death of Amazon. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not time. I've been calling that since 2019. You have, you have absolutely no. It's not happening yet. It's not happening yet. But. I look at my own Amazon purchasing habits. I feel like they've tapered off. What I find myself doing is using Amazon as a check, a, a an opportunity to like go verify something or check a price just to see what's up right. um, and buying directly out of a brand's channel more or mm-hmm. um, because oftentimes there's like, like rewards that come along with that, whether right. that's be samples or, or other types of benefits um, or just feeling like confident that it's uh, it's yeah. like real. Um, and also like usually the, like a lot of, a lot of brands have like really caught up in terms of like how quickly they can get things to you or, or like, right. or, or you just don't care about it getting to you quickly. Um, there's a lot of that. I think too. that's changed. Yeah. Um, completely. So I, uh, and then, and then there was recently a tweet. I think I saw uh, Philip. Someone was responding to you about something. I don't know what it was, but it was like I bought more on Walmart Plus this year mm-hmm. than I have on Amazon. Right. And Philip just signed up for Walmart Plus, and apparently, was that a quarter a quarter of Americans are on Walmart Plus now, um, or oh, something right. like that? Wow. How 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 many was it, Philip? You you told yeah, me. That, it, yeah, it was. Uh, there was a press release that they put yeah. out. It was like one third of U.S. households have Walmart Plus. Yeah. Uh, to some, and you know, I that's unreal. Whatever, whatever for whatever that's worth. I do you see a lot of that, Calvin? You see yeah, a lot yeah, of. Yeah. Uh, so, the, the, ra- so the random like question like yeah like where where are things headed for launching brands here? yeah <laughs> yeah so that's and that's where it's interesting is that's where walmart you know candidly i think it has still been uh tough for new brands to make work um or succeed on on, on walmart just with the overall algorithm there's still a preference placed over kind of in-store products legacy you know kind of entrenched brands so like in terms of emerging brands i have yet to you know, see firsthand or, or kind of, you know, come across in my conversations with the space, a ton of success on Walmart, specifically with delivery for, um, you know, emerging brands, obviously for grocery, again, just given that's been my space and what I focused on, you know, the majority of walmart.com sales are still pickup. It's, it's just how the consumer typically is shopping Walmart for those types of products. So that's where, if that's in mind, that's where it need you need an in-store presence to really have that be the opportunity uh, for Walmart. Um, unless you're in a category outside of grocery, I, I just haven't seen you know the 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 scale or the 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 that revenue opportunity there quite yet. Although obviously that's a work in progress. I think that's where 
in Instacart, I have seen really get out ahead in terms of being kind of that true kind of emerging brand partner where they've developed their roadmap. They've done a great work, a great amount of work in terms of like outreach with you know, emerging brands, you know, launching programs and how they can connect potentially with other you know, retailers and help be that kind of um, launch pad vehicle, I guess, for emerging brands to get a shot in retail or on shelf. So that that is invaluable i think for emerging brands and i think ultimately that's where some of these other um you know channels are maybe standing out um compared to to a, an amazon brand to your point where it has become such a product hellhole so that you do need you know, some partnership from whether it's a platform or retailer to to help uh, kind of cut through the clutter or kind of noise so to speak so i think inscart's done a great job and then uh both from a data partnership perspective and then same thing with um, you know Kroger. I think they've done a really good job, and, and Walmart's on this on the data side. But that closed loop attribution that you're getting from that from advertising is uh, I, that's been asked for obviously on the advertiser side and brand side for a long time. Uh, but that being that's one of their kind of focal point for data sharing um, and showing in store um, kind of attribution as well. I think that's hugely valuable from a marketing a marketer's perspective. Is um, that that helps uh, a lot of conversation and, and kind of media mix planning by having access to that data that you aren't getting from some other platforms, I guess. Loop helps Shopify's most loved brands like Chubby's and Patagonia and Princess Polly to deliver hassle-free return experiences. You don't need to make returns difficult for your customers. There's no need. Instead, automate your return process so that you can drive more exchanges, increase upsell value, and reduce refunds with Loop. Learn more about Loop today at loopreturns.com slash futurecommerce. There's a pluralization of like the, the roles and responsibilities and certainly the areas where you're allocating, you know, capital to drive brand awareness and success in the market. Right. Like it used to be in the e-commerce space, you needed a developer and potentially mm-hmm. an ad buyer and in e-commerce, you could sort of glue it together and sort of make it all work. And there were some challenges right. for sure, but uh, with the right 3PL, you could mm-hmm. you could have some sort of success. Um, with Omnichannel, and in particular, you know, with all of these various channels that you have, Omnichannel really does mean Omni now. It just used to be, <laughs> it meant right. two things before. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, there are a plural, uh, pluralized, you know, multitude of channels to be able to launch into now, and they all require specialization. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that anyone can do any of them perfectly. Uh, so right. what's, what are the alternatives? Do you just wind up hiring, you know, a bajillion specialist agencies and you become a glorified project man- manager? What is the, what is the ultimate structure for a CPG brand who's trying to balance yeah. it all right now? Yeah, no, I, that's a great question. And I think that's where, having been through um, kind of multiple stages and kind of growth curves with these brands um, have been able to kind of see a few different structures or kind of um, build outs. What I've, what I typically re- recommend, obviously this is you know, kind of maybe peanut buttering it a little bit, but generally speaking, it, it, the benefit is, or the, the recommendation should be hiring out to a you know, number of different specialist agencies early on. They're going to have you know much quicker ramp up time, obviously have the expertise needed to get things you know, for the most part, set up, you know, rolling in the right direction and, and helping you get an early start. Um, and, and that's going to be much, the, the growth curve or learning curve obviously is much shorter if you do that as opposed to looking to build out a team. 
obviously from a, a headcount salary uh, standpoint, that might be tough getting the talent needed to have the expertise and knowledge. So I think from an efficiency standpoint, you're, you're better off hiring out agency wise, especially early on. Um, as you kind of scale you know, those channels out, though, I think that's where you, you see where you could possibly gain efficiencies internally. So if you have a sizable DTC business and you're having all of your growth, all of your retention managed by an agency, it might make sense to bring in a you know, retention manager for $75,000 that that's going to be more cost efficient than having an agency manage all of your, your email SMS campaigns. Hmm. Uh, or on the, the Amazon side, you know, maybe you, uh, you know, are bringing in some of the, the ads, uh, buying and, and using a tool like, uh, like a, a pack view, a sky or, or, or what have you. Um, and that's going to be more efficient than paying, you know, an ad management fee from an agency. So it's, it's kind of looking at those, those things at scale where there might be a financial benefit to bringing it in house, but also maybe you finally reach a point when there's, you have the, the scale and the revenue, uh, and the PL to actually afford the headcount internally, um, as well versus outsourcing it all. So I, I think that's how I've kind of seen it and, you know, where you're bringing that internally versus keep remaining outsourced just depends on the, the brand or kind of the, the, the scale at which you're at, I think. One follow-up question on that. So uh, I think you gave us the framework of sort of at the high level of how to grow mm-hmm. into, you know, some sort of scale where you're proving the capability, you're right. finding product market fit. Once you've right. found it, once you, once you have some sort of, uh, you've built a business, you get to a certain tipping point where it makes more sense for you to bring those capabilities in-house. And then maybe you have a brand. You had products right. before, maybe now you have a brand. Uh, right. What is... If you have to launch omnichannel and you're you're mm-hmm. extraordinarily small, is this just setting the bar now so high that we'll see this? We, talk, we said pluralization before. We just went through probably the golden age of brands, and it's never been mm-hmm. easier to create a product. It's been never been easier right. to get it out into the market. Thank you, Facebook. Thank you, Instagram. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's one of those things where hey, if if it's not so easy to create and launch brands anymore. And and it requires all of this outside help and effort. I don't know if the world's poorer for it, but we certainly aren't going to see right. as many brands as we have. Or are we? There's going to be a lot of content. <laughs> it's a good question. It's good. I I really do think that it's it's going to be it, maybe that we will see the same amount of brands, but it, it's about the the success rate or the failure rate is going to uh, increase dramatically because uh, it's gotten so much tougher. So I think there might be a slowdown in the br- number of brand launches, but you're going to see a lot of brands, um, I guess, fail uh, much quicker early on, I guess is how I would say it. And I think there is some consolidation to factors where um, you, know, you have, uh, speaking of Amazon aggregators, where you had a lot of you know aggregators like a Thrasio that had massive growth over the last few years where they had success in buying up you know, all of these, these products, you know, and helping them scale, um, that, that obviously proved difficult. Um, I think there's still an opportunity for, you know, that kind of approach where you have a portfolio and you can can share kind of the learnings and the infrastructure and your connections, um, across a multitude of brands that there still is opportunity. And I think that's maybe the, the, the path forward where you have a lot of brands that sell early and then, you know, maybe succeed moving forward by going to an aggregator or portfolio or something like that. I feel I feel the same way. There's so much uh, there's so much out there that we don't see because there are right. so many niche audiences or like or or brands that just like they they probably could have a wider audience. They just 
don't have the capability to like right. go go broader. Um, yeah. and, and they're really profitable. And, and that was sort of the idea behind Gracio and some of these others, like right. to go find those. Um, and you know, you look at like open store who we're collaborating with mm-hmm. right now, um, similar idea, like find brands that are like clearly have a like financial path, um, right. and, and, and acquire them. I, I feel like the, the path of brands is diversity. Uh, right. it's not necessarily, it's not that we're not going to see lots of brands. It's just, that they're not going to scale kind of how venture wanted them to scale. <laughs> yes. and, the, no, and there won't absolutely. be like this, uh, like, like Facebook and Instagram allowed us to see these brands and a lot of people could see them all at one time. And it wasn't that competitive. It's going to continue. It's going to get more and more like specific and targeted. Speaking right. of specific and targeted. Oh, uh, you switched. I, I was going to say that oh. was a spicy take. Let's talk about spicy hot sauce. Oh. Okay. No, we, just, oh. <laughs> That's also a really good transition. Uh, yeah. and, and actually, I'm going to get there. I'm, I'm yeah. bringing it around to Bring Trev. It around. Bring it around. What we do want to get to Trev. Uh, you spent five and a half year in beverage and yeah. then you went. <laughs> to food we always talk about food mm-hmm. and bev like it's this right. like one category monolith <laughs> food and you bev know. you know like right. it's always it's that's specific enough for most people but really they're very very different and in fact within food and bev there's a lot mm-hmm. of difference a lot of diversity in like how you go to market and what your audience looks like and how yeah. you sell etc cetera, etc cetera. um so i'd love to hear a little bit about like the transition back into food specifically condiment mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. how different that was from the three years prior or three companies yeah. prior across five and a half years you'd spend Beth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, it, it is fascinating even within the beverage brands that I've been at, you know, the differences just in terms of your kind of your product setup, makeup specs and the audiences and also the opportunity with that and, and cost involved. So, you know, even within between buy and like a spindrift, for example, one was in PET, um, you know, plastic bottles, the other one in aluminum cans with, you know, without thinking about it, wouldn't assume that there's much difference between them. So yeah, aluminum cans, difficult on, on Amazon, uh, denting damages, leakage. Um, and then you also have the sortable, non-sortable, um, concern as well on top of that, um, mm. which going into it, never would have thought about, let me t- just plastic bottles, PET bottles, um, much easier, uh, product container to, to work with on Amazon. Um, so from an operational product standpoint, this is even difficult. Um, but then, uh, going from them to like a health aid kombucha, cold chain, glass bottles, can't ship it to <laughs> FBA at all. It entirely had to be FBM third party fulfilled, um, which places some downward pressure in terms of the conversion rates, obviously that you're facing. So, um, yeah, it, I, it's, it's simple just from, you know, even a, a product setup, you know, um, and fulfillment standpoint. Um, but that also, uh, creates opportunity and that's why there was such opportunity on Amazon on kombucha because nobody was able to really make it work uh, mm. well. Um, and so we were able to find a path to make it work, the unit economics work, and we we're able to scale um, you know, out the, that e-com channel um, pretty extensively for, for you know, health aid. Um, you know, so much of that was you know, about 10% of company revenue um, starting from zero uh, in, in a matter of two years. So um, wow. it, it's finding those, those opportunities because if it's hard, that that means not everybody's doing it, and there's a reason why. But that also means there's an opportunity to you succeed, or there, there's uh, opportunity within there. Um, but I guess the differences between like beverage and then food, like a trough, it's 
you know, beverages people are consuming on a daily basis. Uh, you look at the repeat rate, the usage occasion, like through the roof for, for beverages. So a lot of the you know, repeat revenue rates for a lot of the beverage brands, you know, 50, 55% of, of your know, revenue was coming from your know, repeat or, or subscribe and save customers um, on a monthly basis just because of you know the, the usage patterns and behaviors. You know, whether it's like a condiment um, like trough or, or a sauce, um, obviously those are a little bit more uh, you know, longer usage times, longer usage occasions. So um, it, it really was more focused on you know new customer acquisition while obviously retention as well within those customers, but just the the, the time or cadence in between purchases much longer than you would see in, in beverages. So that's where beverage, a lot of times um, we would have kind of quick pulses for new customers, then retention, 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 getting customers into subscribe and save. Um, you know, if you're looking at a condiment food brand, it's, it's largely more around, um, you know, consistent new customer growth. And then, you know, on the, the right cadence, whether it's six or 12 months afterwards, then you're kind of pulsing in some retention um, or maybe cross-selling opportunities. Um, so, yeah, just even between that, just very different approaches and how you're kind of expanding um, or increasing your, your, your kind of top line. Saw the cross sell. The cross sell. You did a lot of cross sell. I feel like that was that was, that, that killed. Get them into so the good. portfolio and then go go wide. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Big Commerce, the world's most modern enterprise e-commerce platform. Back when I was building and scaling brands at the highest level for some of the most recognizable brands in the world, I had to worry about things like security and compliance and outgrowing the tech solution that we had architected. I wish that we had something like BigCommerce back then, because BigCommerce is an open SaaS platform that gives you ultimate flexibility to customize with ease and stay with you as you grow your business. Get back to focusing on your business and not the technology that powers it by trusting BigCommerce as a platform that scales with you. Get a free replatforming consultation today by visiting bigcommerce.com slash futurecommerce. That's bigcommerce.com slash futurecommerce to get you on the path to growth without having to worry about technology. Bigcommerce.com slash futurecommerce. If, if you ever want to uh, come help run merch for a budding content property at Future Commerce, come let me know. Uh, you can't consume any of it just yet, but we'll get there eventually. Just yet. Ooh, just yet. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Uh, I, I know that you were, uh, you know, you spent some time at Truff and Truff certainly, uh, at least amongst the DTC, you know, Twitter crowd and the echo chamber that I live in consistently. Um, really beloved in sort of the way yeah. that that brand has come you know, seemingly out of nowhere, there is no such thing as an overnight success. And I think, you know, sort of architecting your way through brand partnerships um, to grocery store shelves and sort of having the notoriety there uh, seems very calculated and intentional. And uh, but I know having been in behind the scenes working for a brand, it's not all, it doesn't always actually feel that way when you're in the midst of the work. Um, so congrats on having been part of, you know, what I guess I would call, you know, a rocket ship because it's sort of, to, you know, to come from, from, you know, uh, a category innovator, uh, to, and especially at the price point and then to, right. you know, a Taco Bell partnership is certainly playing a high low strategy that's very very culturally relevant right now i'd love right. for you to tell us a little bit about some of your learnings um there and and some things that you know potentially may hold true or may not hold true as we move into a new yeah. season in 2023 
Yeah. I, and I think partnerships is key. And I think that's a, you know, trough included, but, you know, even you're kind of across the board, you're seeing that a lot more with brands and that, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, it, it's the, the, the category, the landscape has gotten much more fragmented, diversified, competitive, um, a lot of you know, channels much more costly. So everybody's trying to find the most efficient channels or way that you're broadening your reach. And if you're looking at partnerships, that's that's one of the most cost effective and uh, I, I would argue authentic ways that you're expanding it and tapping into a new audience. Obviously, along with that, it's got to be an authentic fit. And I think um, you know, Truff had a, a great example of doing that with kind of that you know, Taco Bell partnership or, or Hidden Valley Ranch, um, you know, uh, limited uh, time drop. Um, it's got to feel authentic to the brand and not, not erode that brand equity. So that's the, the nuance part. That's There's not kind of like one line in the sand for every brand. That's going to be kind of decision made. But um, if, if you're doing it well and executing it well, you're it's it's super cost efficient it carries weight with the other partners your audience that you're tapping into um so much more effectively than if you're you know showing up as a a cold potentially a a cold um you know uh lead generated ad or you know uh reach ad that uh you know uh everybody's getting blown up uh, anyways on the platform. So I think it just, it helps kind of cut through the clutter and noise a little bit. Um, and I think you, it build brand, expand your reach, um, ultimately, you know, can, can drive trial or purchase at the end of the day. So you're, you're getting a trifecta uh, with a pretty efficient use of dollars. So I think partnerships has is, is been a key way, um, you know, for, for brands, you know, in this day and age to kind of, um, you know, help cut through the noise a little bit. Um, and then outside of that, I would say, um, you know, uh, brands, a lot of new brands are living and dying, you know, on their content strategy and, and social strategy along with that. Mm-hmm. So not only just paid content, but I think um, just how you're building out your organic content, your your presence, your tone of voice on IG or especially TikTok now. Um, you know, you have a brand like, uh, you know, Poppy that, um, you know, they, they built, um, you know, great presence, you know, from their founder story on TikTok. As another way of kind of you know having a voice and a, a face and a, a voice um, to the audience uh, and, and weigh in. So I, I think it's it's brands are kind of taking a different approach. Um, yeah, and this is where I was saying that this really wasn't the playbook, or these weren't necessarily the, at the forefront of brands' minds, you know, three years ago. But now that's it's some of the primary ways that they're looking to expand their 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 brand presence and their reach overall. I just want to add one thing on the back of that, and this is my own perspective. I don't want to put any words in your mouth, Calvin. My my sense is once you're talking about this kind of stuff, it's already over. Like it's too yeah. late now <laughs> for you to try to piggyback on this strategy. Like right. that's one of the challenges is once something becomes a truism and and I know we've said it a bunch now in this one episode, but it's it almost is it's, it's no longer relevant. We it's the moment is here. If you're building for this moment, you're going to be late. So you have to sort of learn to anticipate what the next thing is going to be. Right. And that's why we're called future commerce and not, you know, today commerce. Uh, Brian, you were getting ready to jump in. Yeah, I do think uh, I do think we're still in the swing of, of partnerships as content, though. Um, and, the, and the reason I say that is because, like you said, Calvin, there's an authenticity to it. Uh, it's and it also plays into both sort of both distribution and in content. Right. Um, and so we saw mm-hmm. like so many collaborations over the, over over you know the past few years. Um, the Hidden Valley uh, collab wasn't even that long ago, and it still had With a huge right. 
yeah, the Hidden Valley yeah, and Tropical. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes. Uh, no, I, I, I thought we'd stated that earlier, but uh, maybe we didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, with Truff, I thought that, you know, I thought it, it still hit all the notes. Something that I thought was super smart that you did is uh, that high-low strategy you mentioned, Philip, makes a ton of sense for mm-hmm. uh, a brand like Truff in particular because, it one, it, Hot Sauce has a, a, a broad market application, but I also think the like premium buy-up strategy for something that's purchased infrequently at a, at a mm-hmm. relatively low price point is like the right. perfect spot to come in with a high-low strategy. Yeah. Was that intentional? Like like someone buys hot sauce maybe like, I mean, it depends on how much you eat, I guess, from, from once a month to maybe once right. every six months. And so like for to, to buy up, you, you can actually go broad market with a premium yes. product. And so, right. yeah, it sounds like you were like all over that. You're like, yeah, Brian. Yeah. yeah. I, no, no, but it's, no, it's, and there was obviously, you know, a few different, you know, kind of, um, you know, objectives and benefits with it. But yeah, that, that, that's it. I mean, you know, I, especially if you think about like a, uh, you know, a condiment or sauce, like unlike a beverage, again, like you can't necessarily, you, people aren't just getting a sample and chugging it there right on the spot. You need that, that perfect pairing with it. So yeah, it was a perfect um, kind of fit. And with that high, low market reach opportunity was, was massive. Um, and yeah, that's, I think uh, that was successful. And that's where you know finding those ways to um, drive trial, um, you know, in reaching that new audience, it was a perfect fit for that. How do you replicate that today? Let's, let's talk about how you're advising brands who are trying to do something similar. Uh, do they just start cold calling, you know, Popeye's chicken and say, let's do this fam. <laughs> like what's the, it's it, no, it's, and it's tough. And that's why it's, um, without, you know, um, you know, doing all the background work going into it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely not an overnight thing and it takes a long, you know, time um so i think it's really where you know that's where you have to prove out um you know the the demand the audience the buzzworthiness of your product like create a demand for it and, and create like your voice and, and you know have it a really great um i guess fan base that that you know any if you're bringing the idea to another you know partner or potential partner um there needs to be clear value and in, in your reasons why there's there would mm-hmm. be benefit to them partnering with you i think so i think that's you know kind of table stakes for for, for that but that's where I, I do think um you know having those um your relationships from a a sales perspective as well as a marketing perspective that's where it kind of takes a tag team effort where you know if you're possibly in a, a you know a food service channel and you have a good relationship with them on the sales side you know, can you leverage you know, your marketing PR team to, to get in with them, have you go a little bit deeper? I, it, it, all of those kind of take, take a while to come together, but it does take, I think, a full, um, you know, the, the full village or full team to, to go about it. And there's no easy way to go about it or like simple way to go about it. I think there are some platforms that are trying to help enable that, make it a little bit more turnkey on the brand to brand partnership mm-hmm. side. So you have some, you um, you know, DTC kind of post-purchase, you know, partnership apps, you know, whether that's like a disco or a few others out there that, you know, help enable some of those partnerships a little bit more easily. Um, so, but that's obviously a little bit different from a full-fledged, um, you know, uh, a retail or a food service type partnership. Um, so, yeah. I think that's that's an interesting insight is that uh, it's become so commonplace that there is now, you know, specific software for matchmaking to enable this. So to Brian's point, you know, potentially there's uh, 
more opportunity left yet, more gas left in that tank. Uh, I believe that it becomes less effective and it's less arbitrage the more commonplace something becomes, where now right. it'll it'll have to be like an expected and required part of building. But unfortunately yeah. for everybody, it doesn't return at the same multiple that it yeah. used to, despite the amount of investment. And mm -hmm. that's where I believe what we're what we're actually talking about is finding you know new areas for uh, uh, creating unexpected opportunities for growth in a company. You can call that arbitrage if you like. Uh, I don't think that that comes necessarily by flipping on Amazon anymore. And it doesn't necessarily yeah. come by, okay, we just need to partner with Travis Scott. Um, and I think <laughs> so. And that's kind thing. of, that's where we are. And I'd love to see what, what the next uh, phase of that looks like for emerging brands, because the emerging brand category yeah. is really the one that I think uh, sets the tone for what the rest of the industry uh, we'll be doing because that's what we're we're in the imitators game it's, now. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. Uh, let's predict the future a little bit, uh, Calvin. What are some of the things that you are taking notice of right now, and who is building, who's innovating in a way that's really inspiring for you? Yeah, I think um, it's it's really this is where you wrap your portfolio of people that you're working with. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I think there, there's there's a lot of uh, really cool interesting innovative brands um you know that have kind of come onto the space you know that obvious one of the obvious ones that we talked about liquid death obviously you know i think there enough has been said about them that uh, they don't need me to share more of it obviously they've done a great job innovating on the marketing front and building a marketing-led brand but it, it is funny how it, what's old is new again because i think it is a very similar playbook you're know, talking about by that uh, it more or less is a similar playbook that uh, that has been used before. Obviously, it's updating it slightly to kind of the modern age. So um, that there are some entrenched kind of strategies and just updating a little bit. So Liquid Death has done done a great job, I think. Um, you know, I think the beauty space and the pet uh, pet food space has really blown up in the last couple of years. So you look at it, there's a number of you know uh, newer pet food brands that um, has disrupted the category because they talk about going niche. Uh, there was a lot of new pet owners during the pandemic, a lot more kind of, you know, high quality, you know, niche specific kind of, you know, pet food categories where that's, you know, better for you <laughs> pet wise. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's been super interesting to see that um, there's been a lot of disruption in that space. And, you know, you, you have, um, you know, a number of different uh, brands out there that, uh, um, you know, they're, they're already, you know, pulling in, you know, nine, nine figures, you know, annually and, and having massive TV budgets. I mean, that's, that's been pretty impressive to see. Um, I think that's where TV has been interesting that that's come back onto the scene and all of the conversation around connected TV. I'm still kind of on the fence. I will say on the TV side, I've seen, I think there's still value in linear in a lot of ways. If you're looking at efficiencies for CPMs versus the 20, $25, you know, CPM that you're typically seeing on CTV potentially. Um, so I think that's been interesting to see kind of that, you know, um, I guess back and forth on the, on the TV side. Um, but uh, I guess going back to the point, a lot of pet food brands doing it. And then you look at beauty, um, you know, hero obviously being one that, you know, a lot of press around that talk about that, that they built a brand on Amazon uh, that used to, you know, everybody used to think that you couldn't do it and they they did it and then sold, um, to, to, uh, Dwight and church. So it's, uh, there, there's some, some brands that are, um, yeah, doing some really interesting things and kind of going, 
different route to markets than, than used to be the case and in finding success like a hero. Um, so I think that's, that's super fascinating to me. There's no one way to do it, I guess, ultimately. I think that's a really, uh, it's a really interesting, like set, like a basket of brands and, and specifically maybe a mix of their strategies, uh, mm-hmm. at present that I feel like gives us a really good overview of, uh, where we are, what's to come. Maybe if I were to even project a little bit, I would say, yeah, it wouldn't be so hard. Just look, if you, if you look back 35 years and look at what people were doing back then, a lot of things have come back around, even from like an advertising aesthetic perspective. Uh, there's an Apple ad that's running right now that is uses fisheye lenses or this, the aesthetic of a fisheye lens where, mm-hmm. you know, I remember MTV, Nickelodeon, Gushers, like this aesthetic of like big hands, giant people, exaggerated caricatures, Delia's catalog, we're re- we're just replaying the greatest hits at this point, um, and yeah. so if you're if you're looking for that right now, I think that's one way to maybe stay ahead is look look behind. Well, in the age of AI and ChatGPT, the only real value <laughs> is original IP. <laughs> Calvin, what about what's next for you? I'm excited to see what you're up to. Like, what are you doing? No, and yeah, that's I'll have to keep uh, cards close to the vest a little bit here, but. Uh, you know, um, continuing kind of that kind of strategic lens and in kind of, as I mentioned earlier, helping with some brands kind of reformulate, uh, you know, kind of their, their current digital strategy or helping them get going on, on, you know, e-commerce or digital. So I have my, my own uh, consulting agency, Rare Eye, that I've been you know, helping with uh, a few partners out uh, with. So continuing that, I think it's been awesome kind of, you know, in, in my own growth and knowledge. Um, and kind of what we were talking about earlier, that there's the, these nuance between categories. I think it's been exciting to have the opportunity to kind of dip my hands in a few different kind of product verticals, categories, and see those nuances a little bit more. Um, you're a better swath, I guess, those differences and nuances. So um, continue to focus on that and, and um, you know, see, see where that, uh, that takes me. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting point in time for, for, for commerce as a whole was just having a conversation with another brand. Um, digital brand leader and uh, a lot of conversation about well there's a lot of nervousness around 2023 what does that mean for yep. budgets uh for growth uh, uh kind of targets um so it's it's a very interesting uh point or a kind of inflection point i think for for kind of the the the, the world right now for us on a commerce perspective so um gonna see what that 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 holds next year um I I wish I had a, a magic eight ball because yeah, it's 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 gonna be an interesting uh, year. But I think if you have uh, kind of that, that omni-channel and we'll say uh, strategy, that's where that that helps you alleviate any um, you know any any headwinds um, you know one one you know place or the other. It, it, it diversifies your risk, I guess. Ultimately, if you have a comprehensive strategy, so that you, you're able to kind of pivot um, as things come up, as they most certainly will. I like that as a piece of advice going into 2023, be diversified in channel, uh, have you have, make sure that you don't like miss out on a channel that's seeing strength. Um, and, and also don't be over invested in, in any one right. channel too much because they might hit headwinds. I think that's really yeah. good advice. Where, what, what's the name of the consultancy, uh, that you operate? Uh, How can people find you? Yeah, you can find us. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, um, or our website is uh, RareEye. Um, so R A R E dash I. That's a uh, man. I'm kicking myself 45 minutes hence that I should have made a rare eye for the CPG guy joke, but <laughs> it came right at the end. That's okay. It was a tee up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Calvin Lambers, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. It was great chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Future Commerce. Hey, the best way to build the future is to create it. And uh, we're so glad that you spent 2022 with us. We have more coming. Uh, we do have a, an announcement, uh, which you probably heard about already. We have a pop-up uh, adjacent to the NRF Big Show. So from uh, we'll be running archetypes. Uh, we'll be joining forces with Industry West. We'll be at Industry West Soho from January 15th to the 17th. We hope to see you there. And uh, we'll be keeping store hours 11 to 4. Come drop by and see us. Check out Archetypes um, and enjoy uh, the world that we're creating and bringing art and commerce closer together. Discover your archetype. Go to archetypesjournal.com. Thank you so much for listening to Future Commerce. Future Commerce.